the love of God, the gospel. See, with Adam and Eve, they sinned, and God slaughtered an animal. He used the lifeblood of it, and he covered them with it. The first sacrifice. And again, when God sees that humanity has become evil and um, is just going around doing destructive things, God provides an ark for Noah and his family. He saves them. And what is even super intense, looking... Um, so last week, Michael talked about Exodus, right? Uh, if you look ahead in Exodus to chapter 34, you see that from chapter 24 to chapter 34, as Moses was up on the mountaintop getting the law, the Israelites were like, oh yeah, that's right, the first law is um, to... There are, you shall have no gods before me, no idols, make no idols. And what do they do? They're like, God is gone, let's make a golden calf. Like... It's the most ridiculous story ever. And yet God is gracious and compassionate even there. He doesn't just destroy them, but he allows Moses to come up and he makes a second set of tablets for them. He gives them the law again. And yes, there's a whole process of how they are to deal with that sin. And you can go read that story. But really what I want to point out is that God cares and God provides a way for us to be with him. And really, all of this is a picture and it's a symbol pointing forward, pointing towards the work of Christ on the cross. And I think I want to go ahead and, go ahead and look at Romans chapter uh, 3, verses 19 to 20, to kind of point out a few passages that really talk about this. All right, so Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Now I know that whatever the law says, the law being, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, the law serves a purpose. It points that you have broken relationship with God. All of you, all of, all of me, <laughs> I'm not plural, I have broken the law. Um, all of the Israelites as well. Everyone has broken relationship with God. And the law points to that. And that's something that we all have to come to terms with. We all have to wrestle with. Um, I think I lived a lot of my life thinking that I'm doing good things. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty okay, you know? Like, um, I had a pretty strict and narrow, like, you do the right thing always, kind of a perception of myself and a way I was going to act in the world. And I did that. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized... I am steeped with sin, and I have to um, register that. I have to reconcile that. I have to come to terms with that and really take that to God and receive his love and forgiveness and mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross. The law points out how I am broken. And yet, in Romans, Paul says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now I'm going to go ahead and jump forward to Galatians 3, uh, 21 through 25. These chapter 3s are pretty good tonight. All right. Ah, good, I put a bookmarker there too. Yeah. Okay, Galatians chapter 3, 21 through 25. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come through the law. 
But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner to sin, of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoner by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now faith has come, and we are no longer under the supervision of the law. But I really want to point out verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was put in place to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. God cares. God provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. And God set that in motion since the creation of the world. And he continued to uh, reveal it and um, reaffirm that desire for reconciliation to his people, and he has throughout all time. But there's one other thing I wanted to point out in this passage, and that's that God cares for the poor. He cares for the disenfranchised, the lost, the forgotten, your neighbor, your family member. God cares for the poor. Now, I live in Bremerton, and this is something that I um, come across every day because I have to drive on Kitsap Way to get to where we live. And as someone who is a suburbanite growing up in Gig Harbor, I kind of get in my car and I drive places and I don't usually stop and talk to people. Um, and I didn't really park in the garage when I came home, but I'm not used to like stopping and like talking to people when I'm in my car. I'm like, I don't know, maybe the window's down, but if the window's down, that means the music's up and I'm not going to hear anyone anyway. Um, but it's really been a challenge of how do I relate with the people who live on Kitsap Way, and not in houses, but rather the homeless and the poor who live in Kitsap Way. And this has been a challenge for Emily and I in our whole relationship. Um, okay, the story I'm about to tell you is uh, what you call descriptive and not prescriptive. So, warning, that is my disclaimer. Um, once upon a time when Emily and I were hanging out after Thrive on Thursday in... I don't know, 2014, 2015, 2013, something like that. Uh, we went to Applebee's, and I think I was following her car. I don't know. We left Thrive at like 10 o'clock, whatever. No one else was, everyone was leaving. And she like stops because there's this girl sitting on the side of the road looking kind of sad and stuff. And she's like, I'm going to go talk to this girl. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I park my car and walk over there because I'm like, you're not going to do that alone because it's like 1030 at night and I'm not going to let you. And I think you should date me. But we weren't talking about that yet. That was way too soon. Um... <laughs> Anyway, so I walk over there, and uh, through the course of the conversation, this girl's like, yeah, I live in Tacoma, and I need a ride home. And Emily's like, I'll give you a ride home. And I'm like, but you're not going to do it alone. So I go with her, of course, and I drive, because I like driving. Whatever, my car is bigger. Anyway, um, so we gave her a ride home. And this is like the first of several instances where we have given people rides home, and they didn't know where they were going. They just needed a different place to be, and they didn't tell us that. But that is what happened. And so we've had a challenge in our relationship to figure out, oh, this, this instance specifically. So we drove to South Tacoma. No, we drove to North Tacoma first. And we stopped at the house. The girl got out, and there was a guy at the house. And he's like, no, you can't be here. So she kind of wandered back to the car and was like, can I have a ride again? And so we drove to, like, South Tacoma, practically Puyallup. Um, and... She got out by an apartment complex place and just disappeared. And we're like, okay, I guess that's where you were going, but you didn't walk into any of these buildings. And so it really, that specific experience left us, left us feeling like, did we do anything helpful there? Was that 
useful. Like, we were trying to be open and available for God to use us however he might, but was that helpful? And I don't know. And we've had a number of experiences like that. Um, there's this one time we were actually driving home from Costco to our house in Bremerton now, and there was a guy pushing his wheelchair, looking like he was struggling um, kind of by where we lived. And this was another instance where we parked the car um, and started pushing him, trying to help him back to where he lived. And yet, he didn't know where he was going. So we pushed him down a really, really steep hill. He didn't, like, didn't push him down the hill. Like, we helped him down the hill. Um, and then we started, like, walking. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go get my other wheelchair. And it was another instance where we're like, what are we doing? He doesn't know what he needs. We don't know what he needs. So we ended up calling a cab for him. And it was really dissatisfying. Um, and I share those stories not to be like, oh, we tried to help homeless people, but rather like, this is something that we're wrestling with, and we don't know what to do. How do we help those who um, clearly need help? What does it look like to help um, the poor and the disenfranchised and the people that society ignores? And I don't have an answer for you on that. So I hope you wrestle with that too your whole life. And I hope you get a better answer than I have. Um, and I hope I also get a better answer too. Yeah. But something I do want to point out that is helpful and is super cool and relates to the text we're looking at tonight is Luke 2. So we're going to go find Luke chapter 2. And this is the last thing I was going to point out tonight. Luke is after Mark, in case you were wondering. Um, there we go. Luke chapter 2. Verses 21 through 24. On the eighth day, when it was time to, be, well, time to circumcise him, no, we're not talking about circumcision right now, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, according to the law Moses had commanded, I'm reading these words wrong. I'm going to read that sentence again. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I point that out um, because in this passage, there's a it talks about the two young pigeons, which just proves that like Joseph and Mary were not people of well means. They didn't have sheep and cattle and well sheep and goats and things like that, but rather they had to offer the claws for those who were poor. And I just want to point out that God cares for those who are poor. It also shows us that uh, this happened before the wise men came with gold. So that's cool too. Um, but the whole point of all of this is that God makes a way. God cares for people and God cares um, way more than we care. God cared for the Israelites, God cares for you, and God loves you even in the midst of your brokenness. Now this does not rid you of your sin, only the blood of Jesus can do that as you come to him, but God loves you and he wants to have a restored relationship with you. And really, that's the point of the law, that God wants a restored relationship with humanity, God wants a restored relationship with his people. Yeah, so that's where I'm going to end with it. And I'm going to pray and then go to small groups. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you prepared a way for us to come to you. Thank you for the blood um, that Jesus, you shed. And Lord, let us not get relaxed with that. Yeah, Lord, in our um, really, I guess, 
that's not the word I mean. Lord, let us not lose the severity of that. That you came and you died for us so that we could have a relationship with you. Be with us in small groups. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.